Hey everyone, thank you so much again for being here with us today. We are honored to get to continue to be the church from wherever we are and to see what God would have in store for us. Today we're going to continue in our House of Acts series that we came back to last week for Easter as we talked about the power of resurrection and what a sweet message that was from Alex of just hope and remembering who it is that we serve. Today we're going to keep going in Acts, so I'm going to have you guys open your Bibles to chapter 9. We're going to be starting in verse 1. And the text reads, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray. Jesus, we are just honored to get to come to your word, to get to come and to learn from you to get to even experience what it looks like to be the church in this crazy time. God, we know that you are in it and we know that you are with us. And we just ask today that you would just be teaching us, God, that you would um, just speak through me, Jesus, what you would have for your people today, that we would be listening, that we would be waiting, that we would be ready to receive from you, God. It's in your name, amen. Think about the giants of faith that you know. Think about the leaders, the people that have formed and shaped what it looks like um, to follow Jesus, people like Paul. I think of uh, Dwight L. Moody, who he surrendered his life in a shoe store when a Sunday school teacher came and reminded him of who Jesus was, told him the gospel, and he was saved that day. Or a C.S. Lewis, who was just so pursued by the Spirit of God that he was in his room and basically gave in to the calling. He called himself the most ejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Or a John Wesley, who was a Christian, but who saw a luggage carrier who was poor and he just had this incessant joy. And he looked at him and said, if this man is a follower of Jesus, 
then maybe I'm not. And he reshaped his faith, ultimately choosing to follow Jesus and not religion. Or Saul on the road to Damascus, who's met by Jesus. He surrenders what he thought he knew about God and knows that he has encountered the risen king, that he has encountered Jesus. The power of resurrection that we talked about last Easter is what puts on display Jesus, and it invites the world to encounter him. It invites the world to have these moments where we get to look in the face of God to have him revealed to us. Each of these stories that I mentioned have that in common. They encountered him. They encountered Jesus. They received revelation, which is the unveiling of God and his true character. It marked a turning point for them. From the Old Testament theophanies of Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, or Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6, or countless others we can think of, of examples of God showing himself and inviting people to this divine call, to the text from today and seeing Saul respond and seeing God pinpoint him and reveal himself. Think of your own testimony. Think of the moments in your life where God has revealed himself to be true to you and you've responded. God has always been and will continue to reveal himself to humanity, to invite us to respond. This revelation of God is relational, that God would reveal himself to be known, but also want to know us. If you've been around St. Till on a Sunday, you've heard us use the language about of encounter, that we want to come every Sunday with just one goal, that we would encounter King Jesus, to meet him face to face. This is what we're talking about when we talk revelation, getting to see this unveiling of God, this encounter of his presence, getting to see risen King Jesus. I believe that right now we are in the midst of a move of God. And when God is on the move, the enemy is going to try to oppose it. We see it in Acts, the word of Jesus is spreading, just like we saw last week. We're seeing the salvation and baptism of the eunuch and the powerful ministry of Philip. And then we arrive in Acts chapter nine and you have this phrase, Meanwhile, Saul, he's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Meanwhile, there's opposition to the move of God. But what this testimony will show us next is that opposition of the enemy is nothing against the revelation of Jesus. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to tune out right now. That in the midst of opposition, we would kind of hit the snooze button and say, okay, we'll be our B to the move of God. We'll come back and shoot for revival when we can all be together, when we can all gather in the same place but we're being invited today to remember Jesus, who revealed himself to Paul and opposition turned to surrender and the gospel spread to the Gentiles and to the nations. The God who revealed himself to Ananias, who then partnered with what God was up to and the gospel spread. I believe that in this time of opposition that we're in, there's disease, isolation, insecurity, it's all seeking to destroy, but that God is inviting us in our homes, on our knees, in his presence to greater revelation than ever before. That this will be a season, this will be a moment of deep encounter and the gospel of Jesus will spread. This passage in Acts not only speaks about the testimony of Paul, I know it's labeled the conversion of Paul, but it's so much more than that. I think it testifies even more to the character of God, his desire to encounter his people, to encounter you and the power of surrender. As we approach the word of God today, he is unveiling himself to us. He's showing us what it looks like when God encounters humanity. Jesus calls your name. So let's get into it. This passage is packed, but I feel like today God is inviting us to really focus on this theme of revelation. 
We're gonna spend time today with three aspects that jump from this text. And the first is that revelation is intimate. We see two different intimate encounters in this section of Acts. The first is, of course, uh, that of Saul. He stopped on the road to Damascus, and the second is that of Ananias. Jesus calls each of them by their name. Before God reveals himself, he shows them that he knows them. To know someone's name is to reveal that at least on some level, you know them, or at least you know of them. There's people in our lives, I was thinking today of like, oh, I know the name of Taylor Swift. Not that she would ever know my name, but maybe I've watched the Americana documentary and I know that she has Scottish fold kittens that are very cute and other information that you probably don't care about and I probably shouldn't care about. But I, I know her name, even though she doesn't know mine. You get the point. To know a name is in some context to know the person. And Jesus reveals first that he knows them far deeply and far more than just an acquaintance. And their responses are revealing. First, there's Saul, who we know better as Paul. Um, he has his name called by Jesus twice. So think back to Genesis 22. God calls Abraham twice to tell him not to kill his son Isaac. Or 1 Samuel, where God calls Samuel twice before he gives him vision. The scriptures record this double name to bring attention, to say, here's something important. This is pivotal. Just as here, and Saul responds. He responds with a question. He says, who are you, Lord? You see, Saul recognizes that this is God as one who's well-versed in the scriptures, who understands a lot about Yahweh from what he's read. He knows that God has appeared with light and voice before. Think back to those theophanies I mentioned of Genesis and of Samuel and more. But how could he possibly be persecuting God? That's why Saul's question comes to him. is like, okay, Lord, but who are you? And it is to Saul's question that Jesus answers his name. He tells him that this is Jesus. And this revelation was not invited by Saul, but Jesus met him in power. He stopped him in his tracks and he met him and revealed who he was. Jesus called his name and made himself known before Saul even knew he had questions that needed to be answered. He was going down the road thinking that he was on his way to solve God's problem of these people of the way, when what he really needed was to see God for who he really is. God has the power, the authority, and the desire of intimacy with his people to reveal himself to whoever. And again, back to the state that we're in, I think it's super easy to be home and to think, well, I can't go out and pray for people. I can't be at my church and ask for healing and see God move in power there. I can't like go and share the gospel with someone on the street because they'll get mad I'm not six feet away from them or whatever it is. But I wanna remind us that God can reach anyone, anywhere. He can reach his hand into a home. He can call on any name. He can stop someone in their tracks and reveal himself for who he is. For us, followers of Jesus, this means that we cannot stop interceding. Think about your friends, your neighbors, your family, people that you barely know. The world lifts them up to Jesus, intercede on their behalf, and ask that he would encounter them, that he would meet them wherever they are, whether it's alone in their bedroom or in the midst of craziness of trying to wrangle kids, that he would come and he would meet them and he would encounter them with who he is. And if you're someone who's listening and you do not follow Jesus, first, we are so happy that you're here. And I believe that he is already wanting to touch you, already wanting to move in you. 
But know that Jesus is so kind that he will meet you in your questions. That when he meets you and you respond and say, who are you? That he will reveal himself. He will stop you in your tracks and he will let you know him because he already knows you to the depths of your soul. I also wanna stop and look not only at Saul's response, but at Jesus' words to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think that there is really no better evidence of the intimacy that Jesus desires, the intimacy that Jesus has with his people than in this passage, in this line. Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? In John 17, 22 through 23, Jesus says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly united so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them just as you love me. Jesus doesn't separate himself from his bride. He doesn't separate himself from us. He died and came back the power of resurrection is that we get to be one with God. Jesus later tells Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name, but this too will be Jesus's suffering. The mystery and the beauty of Jesus's resurrection is that it again allowed oneness with the creator. We could have his thoughts, his spirit in us, and receive revelation from him. It also means that he's not removed from our suffering. It's human to ask, God, why have you forsaken me? Especially in a time like this to say, Jesus, where are you? But I think Jesus is responding to this question of, I'm right there with you. I am right in the middle of it. And Jesus meets us in that question. We can bring our frustration, our anger to God, even if it's about God. But the truth is that he is in our suffering with us. He calls it his own suffering. He does not separate himself from it. So in a time where I know that hardship seems rampant, maybe you've had crushed dreams or lost jobs or family is feeling so strained or whatever it is, he is right with you. And he calls your hardship his own, your suffering his own. He calls you his own. Hebrews 5 uh, verse 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He is with us and he is for us. We're also gonna see God's intimacy of revelation as he calls the name of Ananias. Now, this is a little bit of a different response, right? Because Ananias knows who Jesus is. He is a follower of Jesus. So when Jesus calls Ananias' name, he just says, yes, Lord, he is ready. He is waiting to hear. His response is one where he is anticipating and excited for what Jesus will say next. Revelation is not just for the moment when you realize who Jesus is, that he is who he says he is, the moment we would also call salvation or being born again, being adopted into the family of God. But revelation continues. God continues to reveal himself to his people to invite us to partner with him in bringing heaven to earth. This is the intimacy of relationship with him. I remember when I first started uh, dating my husband, Tyler. I lived in Colorado and he lived here in Oregon. And 
we would be on the phone forever. And I don't even like talking on the phone, but I was just fascinated to learn about who he was. I wanted to know the things he liked. I wanted to know how work was. How do you even roast a coffee bean? I wanted to know about what he liked about Volkswagens. I wanted to know just the intricacies of who he was. And now we've been married for almost three years, which is nothing I know in the span of a marriage life. But it would be easy for me to stop and be like, oh, okay, like, I know my husband. We did all that like work up front. He told me about himself up front and now I've got it. But how weird will our marriage get if we don't continue to foster that intimacy? If I wanna spend our next 40, 50 years living off of just memories of conversations that we've had, memories of what I know him to want, to desire, to dream. No, I need to be like continuing to ask, continuing to have those conversations, continuing to reveal ourselves to one another. I need to know him now and I need to know him for who he is. And how much more is that true as we continue to know an unsearchable and infinite savior? How much more does God have to reveal to you, follower of Jesus? You don't have to try to sustain yourself or your relationship with God off of revelation you received 10 years ago. Yes, like remember his promises, remember who he has said he is to be, remember that revelation and what a blessing it is to receive it, but don't stop receiving from him. Know that he wants to continue to reveal himself to you, to continue to be one with you. He's inviting you to that level of intimacy, that we would know our husband, that we would be waiting and ready and anticipating his next word. He will unveil himself and we will get to stand in awe and fascination of what we get to receive. And although this revelation is intimate, Think of Saul and Ananias, they are being called by their name. It is specific, it is personal, but the revelation of God, we see it grow in power when it's brought into that context of community, when it's brought together. God is speaking the same message that each person needs to hear and then bringing it together in greater power when Ananias lays his hand on Saul. Jesus wants to put us together to partner us with one another as we hear what he's speaking, as we get his revelation, that we would get to see things far greater than we can imagine on our own. The bride of Christ is a body of believers who lives out her best call together. Do not forget that even if you're alone at your home right now, even if you're by yourself, you who call on the name of Jesus, you are a part of this body. You are a part of the body of Christ, the family of God. We must fight for church family right now more than ever. I think that it's easy to say, and I've even said this myself, of, well, we just need to like adjust to the new normal. We need to get used to things as they are. I wanna today challenge us to say, no, we do not get to say that as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are looking to say, God, what is your kingdom doing? What do you wanna do here? Because the kingdom of God is not disease and isolation. The kingdom of God is not one of lack. The kingdom of God is one of abundance and one of community. And I so look forward to the day when we get to be back together and to worship together. Even just last week, I was in my living room. And I was with my husband and we were playing the Bethel worship videos because that's one of the outlets right now that we'll sit and we'll worship with. And it's such a sweet time. But I was worshiping with those videos and I just start bawling because I got a picture of what it would be to be together again. And I 
I was bawling because I think I, there's a sadness because I miss you guys so much. I miss getting to be the church so much, but also like crying with joy because I think that God is building something right now that when we get to come back together, it's just gonna be a party that he's doing deep work right now and he's instilling deep fruit that when we come together, we're all gonna get to reap of each other's fruit. We're all gonna get to come together and see, oh my gosh, that's what God's been doing in you. That's what God's been doing in you and get to celebrate it. But even now, prior to the getting to come back together and what a celebration that will be, we need to fight for that church family now to be inviting each other into what it looks like to walk with one another now. Whether that's a FaceTime call with a word from the Lord or getting to meet with people weekly just to talk about how things are going via FaceTime or whatever it is and get to kind of just see what is God doing, how is he moving, and how can I partner with you? We get to be the church now. We're gonna continue to ask for his kingdom to come. So don't settle. Don't settle into not being together. Don't settle into some kind of new normal, but continue to fight that we would see God's kingdom and fight to be with his people. As God reveals himself, just share it. Invite people in to dream bigger dreams with you right now, in this moment, and to anticipate what God is gonna continue to do. May we respond to this critical moment together. And that brings me to the next thing um, that the text teaches us about Revelation is that revelation requires a decision. When God unveils who he is, we're given a choice to obey. The revelation to both Paul and Ananias, or I guess was Saul and Ananias, invited them to make a decision, to believe God for what he said and to act on it. Revelation is always gonna require us to decide. Any time that God unveils himself to you, unveils himself to me, unveils himself to anyone, we are not gonna be able to leave unchanged. We will either decide to not respond or to respond to what he's brought to us. This unveiling of God inviting us to decide brings to light the whole purpose of revelation, that God reveals himself that he may be glorified. It's illuminating his plans and his purposes that he may be known in all the world, that his kingdom may come. If your purpose is to build your own kingdom, if you're focused on your dreams and your desires and your next level and what retirement is gonna look like, I'm not saying our own personal dreams are not bad, but we need to dream bigger because Jesus is wanting to give us dreams that are gonna switch our focus from looking at ourselves to looking at the world and saying, God, how will you be glorified? How am I gonna get to see it? Give me a picture of what it's gonna look like because I want to join in that we might surrender ourselves to the bigger and better vision that is his. Revelation invites us into this bigger vision as we receive the divine call for each of us that spurs us onto a mission for all of us. And in this season of Revelation, will we surrender? Will we decide to go deeper? Will we decide to respond? Like Saul, will you surrender your ideas about God? Saul was an esteemed student of the Torah. He knew his stuff. And Saul also was a religious elite. He believed that his mission of wiping out the way was actually carrying out the will of God, that he was doing a work of God by getting rid of these people that threatened the way that he knew to be true. He made up his mind about how the Messiah would come and about who he would be to the point that he couldn't see that Jesus fulfilled every prophecy of the word that he held so dear. 
Are you willing to surrender your ideas about who God is or how God should be to receive revelation of who he really is? The scriptures are the revelation of God to us and nothing that we hear from God will contradict them. But Jesus will challenge our religion. He will challenge our tradition. He will challenge our understanding. Will we lay down our pride and surrender to him when he does? And like Ananias, will you surrender your ideas of what is logical? Ananias responds to God super logically in verse 13 and 14. Um, Lord, like, do you know who this Saul guy is? He, the reports are not good. He wants to take out your people. And I think me laying hands on that guy, not the best idea. But God's revelation goes against Ananias' logic. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 19 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. As you follow Jesus, you will again and again need to surrender your logic to learn his wisdom. The truth that brings freedom is not the truth that the world holds, and it'll sound uncomfortable, and it'll sound foolish, and it'll get weird looks, but we will be a people who surrenders what we think, what we think makes sense. We would surrender it for the glory of God, to get to see the power of Jesus, to see the truth of God come to fruition. And just as Ananias went, he said yes, he went to Saul in all of his hesitancy to lay his hand on the destroyer of the way, we will go to. We will move, we will declare, even when it seems foolishness to the world, and we will see God showcase his wisdom time and time again. So let's just pre-decide in this season. You wanna pre-decide with me? We're gonna make a decision right now where you are, in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you are, say, I decide that I'm gonna go as deep as God wants to take me. Say right now with me, I decide to go as deep as God will take me. That we would give him right now our yes, we will agree with him to see his kingdom come. And I think with that yes, he is gonna open the next season of our lives. And that's number three, Revelation. Revelation opens the next season of our lives. The revelation of God to Silas and to Ananias combined with their surrender and launched a new season. As Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit, the scales fell off his eyes. There was freedom for him and a call that would define not just that next season, but the rest of his life. And we know because we get to follow Paul's life through um, the writings of the New Testament that there was such impact there, that what this launched was a season of change for the church, it launched a season of change for the people of God, and it launched a lot of what we're built on today as the church. And in this season of revelation that we're in, St. Hill Church, as we each surrender to what God will speak, he's gonna launch us into a season of revival. I believe that we are gonna see the gospel spread like we saw in the days of the Apostles of Acts that the story of Saul is this prophetic inheritance for us right now, that we would get to take the revelation of God, that we would hold it so precious, that we would get to spend this time in our homes, that we would spend it on our knees, asking for deeper revelation, deeper revelation, and that this is gonna be such a season of great revealing of who God is, of what his character is, that we would be launched into a season of revival, that each of us are gonna get specific. So just like Ananias and Saul, they got 
They got specific things for them. They got specific things for their life, for their call. We're also going to get things for our church, for our community, and it's going to launch us into a new season. We're going to get clarity about God's character, his goodness, the person of Jesus. That this time, this time of COVID-19, will not be a marker in our lives that we look back and say, I just kind of like tried to waste time at home, tried to pass it until things got back to what they were, just was like, bide my time until it's over. No, that we're going to look back and say that this is one of the greatest seasons of revelation that we ever experienced, that we can pinpoint it as a time that God was stirring revival in his people and that he launched us into a season of worship and power like none that we had seen before. Now is not the time to sit back. The revelation of God is opening us into the next season and it's also revealing who we were made to be. We cannot rightly see ourselves, our purpose, our identity, our calling, any of that without first rightly seeing the Father. So as he unveils himself to you, you're gonna see what you were made for. Just as Saul saw him and knew what he would give his life to, spreading the word of the risen King, so you will see him and see the only one that is worthy of your life's ambition. The more you look into the eyes of Jesus, the more you'll experience the freedom of being who you were made to be. May we be launched by the revelation of the beauty of Jesus into our next season with such confidence, intimacy, surrender, and power. And now that we've talked about those three points of revelation, we're left asking, okay, but now what? Like, yes, we want that revelation of God, but what do I do now? Uh, there's a quote from A.W. Tozer that says this, an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one, he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. God wants to give himself fully to you, to be known by you, loved by you, and to show you that you are the love of his life, that you are worth it to him. So go to the secret place, wait and listen for revelation from our perfect father who has enough to go around. His story, revealing his character to you, that's what he wants to give you in these times of intimacy. He wants to show you who he is and then with that, who you are, to give you vision beyond yourself, to partner with him and then with the people around you, going after a vision of his kingdom. The next thing, is to read the scriptures. God has revealed himself to you already through his word. This is a revelation of who God is, page after page from the beginning of the story to the end. It is his character, it is his mission for the world, it is what his people look like. It is so many things, but most of all, it is just, it's a story of who he is. It's God's story. And so if um, God's revelation is an unveiling of who he is, what a better place to start than the scriptures. And we know that we will find truth, that we will find freedom, that we will get to see Jesus for who he is. So during this time, don't, don't leave the scriptures just sitting on your coffee table. Soak them up. Soak up the word of God. Take any moment that you can, to even, even if it's just a chapter, if you just have a moment to sit and just let the word of God just wash over you, teach you about who he is. Don't don't waste the extra time that you might have to get to go to his word, to get to go to truth, to get to receive revelation from him. And the third thing we can do moving forward 
is we can respond. With every revelation, you will have a decision. With every revelation, I will have a decision. And we already pre-decided that we're gonna go with him, that we're gonna say yes. But I encourage you to just continue to surrender to whatever God is up to, to share the word that you receive for someone, um, receive the word that you hear for yourself, move on the direction that he gives, believe the truth that you hear. We live in this beautiful mystery where we're on the receiving end of the kingdom of God, where the power of resurrection has made it possible for us to live as one with him, where we are a part of this body of believers, the bride of Christ who will admonish one another, who'll fight for one another, believe for one another, and see heaven come together. We anticipate his glory. We long for all to be made new. We join together today and say, Jesus, you have our yes. There is no one more deserving of our time and our attention. Please reveal yourself to us, King Jesus. Now, there's an activation document on our website that you can continue to sit with what God is speaking to us, that we can continue to just work through, sit with, meditate on, okay, God, what does it look like to receive your revelation? And yes, I want it now. And I believe that even right after this teaching that you're gonna get to sit with him and you're gonna get to see God reveal himself. And don't, don't contain it, share it with someone, share it with us. We would love to hear the words that God is speaking to you. Uh, before we move into a time of just getting to give prophetic words, I would love to just pray for us that we would just get to continue to receive all that God has. Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are, that this is like such a crazy time. The world is like topsy-turvy, but you, God, you are stayed. You are a God who suffers with us. You are a God who knows us intimately that you are a God who is just so for us. And we today, Jesus, we say that, yes, we want this to be a season of revelation, God. We want to see revival come to our city, Jesus. We wanna see revival in Newburgh and beyond. We wanna see you move, God. Let it, let it start with us. Let us start with our times of intimacy, God, where you just reveal yourself again and again. Unveil yourself to us, Father, that we get to know you we would get to see you, God, just to enjoy you. We're so thankful for your presence, so thankful for your love, thankful for who you are. In your name, amen.